Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kim Chi. I want to say at this point, former stripper, but also sexy content creator, <laughs> former sugar baby, all of the things. Um, it's actually my one year anniversary doing the podcast, which is like really crazy and weird. <laughs> I just can't believe I've gotten this far, but like, thank you to everyone who's been listening and finds this podcast interesting. I do it all for you guys. So keep on staying tuned. This week is kind of different. So there is a show out there called P-Valley, aka Pussy Valley, which centers around strippers in the South. And I personally just got hooked right away. Um, this show debuted not too long ago, just wrapped up season one. So I thought I would go ahead and try my best to dissect it. But I can't do this alone. So I invited one of our fellow listeners onto the show today. We have Miss Kat Daniels joining us on the show. She is a stripper in Ontario and she will tell us a little bit about herself because I actually don't know too much about you at all except that you seem really freaking cool and responded to my who wants to dissect the show with me. So thank you, Kat. Are you there? Kat? <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm like, that's your cue to come in. <laughs> I'm here. Hello. Hello. So feel free to tell the audience like who you are, um, what you do, how you got started, your whole story. We want to learn about you as well. So and go. Thank you. Um, yep. So I go by Kat Daniels in the club. I am an infant stripper. Oh. <laughs> I started just in January, actually. Um, so I'm pretty oh, wow. late to the game. Um, oh my gosh yeah, got, yeah. <laughs> and like so kind of got shut down by covid like pretty quickly yes um so that was kind of a bummer but i'm back at work i've been back since july 17th um we reopened in ontario on that day so yeah it's been really fun um i have a dog walking business that i run during the day um but cool. at night i take my clothes off for people yeah <laughs> and that's totally okay i support it <laughs> <laughs> thank you that's amazing. So what the heck? I didn't know that you were a baby stripper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, and I'm kind of older too. And I think you might've discussed this on previous episodes with other people, but like mm-hmm. I'm 34. Okay. Um, yes. 36. <laughs> you look like you're 26 though. <laughs> Let's be real. Thanks. Yeah. So, and I found just kind of like the response at the club when I told like, you know, men younger than 50 that I was 34 and they were kind of like, Okay, thank you, next. So I lie about my age now. I hate it, but it is what it is. Oh my gosh. You know what? You guys got to do what you got to do. And it's not, I I wouldn't really want to say it's lying. It's just part of the game of selling. (laughs) So like, it's not a bad thing. I mean, we've had other people too look at come in the show and they think, oh, they're super young. They're like, actually, I'm really much older than that. And some people like that. Some people don't feel comfortable talking to super young girls. But, I mean, whatever floats your boat, right? There's someone out there for everyone, so. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) How did you, like, how did you get uh, started with the stripping game in Ontario? 
Um, well, I've always been an admirer of strip clubs and I've, you know, been a, a patron for many, many years. Yay. And it's kind of been an industry that I've been curious about, but I never really had the self-awareness and mm. the the confidence when it came to my own sexuality and my body, let's be honest. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, you know, up until the last few years, I didn't really have that. And so once I kind of started to just, you know, feel more into my sexuality, my sensuality, um, I was like, you know, that's something that I'd be really interested in. And I'd love to try it. And, um, you know, this year kind of came around and I had a little bit of credit card debt that I had built up. Mm. And I was like, that's how I'm going to pay it off. Um, And so I kind of jumped into it with that goal in mind, like, you know, for the end of the year to get everything cleared, get some money invested. Um, and kind of turn that around, right? Turn turn the debt into investments. Totally. So yeah, that was the plan. Um, and that still is the plan and, yes. and kind of the, the reason why I got into it. But okay. it's been so much fun. It's it's very empowering for me. You know, it pushes me out of my comfort zone and it's been it's been a really, really good time overall. That's incredible. I'm so glad to hear that. And like how how did you start to overcome like your, your sexuality not sexuality your sensuality and also just feeling comfortable in your in your own body and your own skin like was there a kind of process for you to, in order to do that or did like stripping help with that there was definitely a process so like it's been over the last few years I kind of started to I was in a relationship a few years ago that was super unhealthy and I was trying to kind of find ways to make it work to to kind of change things around and I started listening to podcasts you know about relationships and communication Mm -hmm. um and kind of that quickly turned into finding this really interesting podcast she's not doing it anymore but it was called sex gets real okay um by this woman named dawn sarah and it was incredible for the years that she ran it and it was just mostly about like her journey with bdsm and kink and non-monogamy and that's kind of where the interest actually started okay and where i started to kind of gain like the skills when it comes to like healthy communication and boundaries, like I didn't know that boundaries were a thing that you could enforce. Yes, definitely a thing. Um, Very important thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, I think learning just that and learning that I am able and capable of saying no to people, those were game changers. And I think once I was able to kind of, you know, as most women, like you're taught, you know, whether it's directly or indirectly, you know, to please and that, you know, your body may be a little bit shameful and that you're not really supposed to be enjoying sex, or at least that's kind of what I was, I was taught. Yeah. So kind of just being given that, you know, quote unquote permission to like, do what I want to do. And then just kind of starting to go down the rabbit hole of like, you know, BDSM and, um, you know, kink play and submission and dominance and, and, you know, going to play parties and things like that. And it was kind of just... A progression that sort of just you know as the momentum kept going mm-hmm. it kind of just kept feeling good and I just kept exploring and then Yay. yeah I, that's where I kind of was like okay I'm, I'm confident enough to be able to really think about doing this that's and awesome. I had taken pole like pole lessons um like eight years ago okay so I knew I enjoyed it I knew I could throw my body around a little bit yeah yeah Cool. Wow. It's such a a journey too. And like once you unlock that, once you become aware of your body and aware of like who you are, it just changes things. And I'm not just talking about like um, in terms of sex work, but just realizing who you are as a person and your value. Um, Mm -hmm. It's pretty much life changing. It's 
really is. You're right. Yeah. That's crazy. And, and you mentioned you're based in Ontario. So I, I, I forgot to say what, oh, what city you're based in. So I'm just about two hours west of Toronto um, okay. in a city called London. Okay. So we're kind of like a big university town. We have a university and a college here. Yes. Um, you know, it's like a mid-sized city. It's about, I'd say like, I don't know, four or 500,000 people. Um, so it's not huge, but I like, I, I love it here. And the clubs are open again there too. And how is, how are the clubs over there? Um, so I've only ever worked at the one club that I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I visited a lot of other ones. So the clubs here, do you mean like kind of overall or like after COVID? Both. Or not after, <laughs> we're still in it. We're still like, in it. <laughs> um, the clubs in Ontario are... I mean, it sounds like they're quite different than, you know, what I hear other people talking about on your podcast, Yeah. Um, especially like out West, you know? Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, from what I've gathered, we don't have to pay nearly as much to work as the girls do out West. Oh, really? Yeah. Like when it comes to like, like floor fees, fees tip outs, um, like the club actually taking money off of your dances. Yes. Like, they don't do that to us. <laughs> no, that's so, awesome. Uh, Every dollar I make, except for my house fee and, like, $5 to the DJ, I get to take home. Nice. Um, that's pretty good. Yes. So I like that in Ontario. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good metric for sure. Yeah. I mean, things like something that's really different for us now is um, the bylaw in my city is that, you know, no touching is allowed in strip clubs. But, you know, when you kind of walk in the door, they're sort of like, you do you. You can yeah. enforce the rule of no touching or, you know, you can allow them. But the rule is no touching. So, you know, that was always something <laughs> that kind of I was always like, oh, this sucks. Like, I don't like it. You know, you'd get <laughs> right. men that would try to lick you. And oh, oh, just like. So coming back and not having to deal with that has been a blessing. Um, <laughs> I've been really enjoying that. That's awesome. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, uh, yeah, like the clubs here in, in BC, things have closed down again and they were already kind of closing. But now since the cases have been going up again, like astronomically, I think there was like four, 400 plus cases last weekend. Our, yeah. yeah, our chief medical officer basically put a curfew on things now. There's like a 10 p.m. What? cutoff. Yeah, 10 p.m. cutoff for restaurants that are serving alcohol. And then all bars and, like, clubs have to close again, which I kind of understand because things were just getting out of hand and people are just not giving a shit again. And yeah. it's just been really frustrating. So I understand where she's coming from, but it just, like, sucks. <laughs> it totally sucks. And I feel really bad for everybody who kind of, like, got the taste of, like, going back to work and, like, that boost in just, like, mental health and, mm-hmm. you know, feeling like you're kind of getting a bit of your life back and then to be shuttered again. Like, is every club out there closed now? I would assume so because she just said, yeah, bars closed. Clubs closed. <laughs> you know, closed. I've been kind of anticipating that to maybe happen here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if, if it does, it does. Like, I, I understand it as well, like you were saying. Like, the more alcohol you get in people and the later they sit there, like, yeah, they become a bit more uninhibited. They yes. want to push the, push the boundaries and... Yeah, it's not really my jam to be there, like, super, super late these days. No, and just to fuck around with your health and other people's health, like, I'm not down for it, so. Yeah, everybody's been pretty good about their masks at my club, I will good. say. that's awesome. Yeah, 
yeah, so that's been super nice. And I always tell men, like, God, your mask is so sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they love to hear that. <laughs> okay, well, without further ado, why don't we pivot the conversation to what the topic is for this entire week? So we're talking about Pea Valley. Pea Valley. It is Pussy Valley, baby. Pussy Valley. It's like a brand new show. Season one just launched, uh, I think it was in July now, and they only had eight episodes. When they came um, when they came out and season one just wrapped like last Sunday, so it mm-hmm. was a crazy show. So like I guess some background if you guys are not familiar with the show, it's on the Stars Network. So if you have Crave, like you'll be able to get that. It's based on the play by the playwright uh, Katori Hall. She actually grew up in the South, which is where the show is located, and it's set in the Mississippi Delta, aka Dirty South, Dirty Delta, in the fictional town of Chukalisa. And it starts off with like some flashback scenes of a flood. There's a tragic event. It's following this this girl, Haley, who finds a suitcase with like an ID. There's some Christian Louboutins in there. And like she's got like a bank card and basically trying to follow her and trying her luck in getting a job at the local strip club, which is called The Pink. And they're like, it just sets the tone for the entire show. Like it's, it was, it turned out to be like, it started off as like really, really mysterious. I didn't really know what it was about, but it goes in to follow the lives of not only the dancers that work there, but also people that are involved with the club, you know, the bouncer, the owner, one of the dancers, moms and stuff and going into those relationships and stuff. But it's a really cool show. I loved the music. I loved all the acrobatics that they did with pole. And I just loved how they showed a lot of like real stories of people, I would say, even though it is a show. But like I I personally thought it was like, whoa, what is a show? It just came out of nowhere. This is really cool. Kat, like what are your first kind of thoughts about it? My first thoughts when I started watching it were, I mean, the first episode like you said, it's kind of a bit confusing, but then as soon as she shows up, just <laughs> for her job, and she's like in this pencil skirt, I like, know, this flowy blouse, <laughs> and like her really nice heels, and I'm just like, you know, she gets in the line to kind of go get involved in the like, essentially like an amateur night was yeah. what they were doing, right? Exactly. Um, and just like everything from the locker room to the way that um, Uncle Clifford looks at her and is just sort of like, girl, you need some floss. Like, oh, <laughs> it was just, I, I felt like, it felt like it was kind of like every person walking into the club on their first night, not knowing like what to do, what to wear, (laughs) your body, you know, getting up on stage. And I, that just warmed my heart. Like as somebody who's so new, I was kind of like, Oh girl, you'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) I totally feel the same way. Cause like, again, I shared those sentiments cause that's like how I got started too, was through an amateur night. And again, like not knowing what to wear, like it looked like she was wearing like, like she was going to the office or something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like you're not gonna be able to move in that skirt like how are you gonna take that skirt off girl <laughs> but yeah it was really nice to like kind of like have that nostalgic kind of feeling to it and almost like a relatable experience like as a stripper yeah. so it was really cool to see that <laughs> it was and just kind of like you know the atmosphere in the locker room with you know all of the women who've worked there for a while kind of looking over their shoulders like oh great another new person yeah um you know and it was just like the house mom and like we don't have those here so I just I love that dynamic too 
um, to see just kind of like the way that they all are a family and a little bit leery of the outsider. And yeah, I felt it was just all very like it captured sort of that first night for somebody I thought pretty accurately. Yeah, me too. Cause I, I shared that like <laughs> very similar experience. Cause like the club that I used to dance at, which is the penthouse, like for amateur night, you have to go all the girls, basically all the VIP and freelancers get crammed into this one room. And then there's a room on the left, which is only for stage dancers. And I remember being crammed in this like room and there's like 10 girls <laughs> and that's, and there's like other like, you know, established like VIPs and freelancers that are there and we're like just giving you the side eye <laughs> and be like, yeah. who's this bitch? <laughs> <laughs> I totally felt that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not to say that like people were mean. It's just like they're not there to be your buddy, you know? No. And it was, yeah, it was just, I, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, there's, like, what about you? Like, in terms of, like, pros and cons of the show, I guess maybe if you want to go into pros first, what what you liked about it? I mean, I really liked that they they showed how real strippers danced, you know? Mm-hmm. They, they showed some really amazing athleticism. Yes. Um, and I thought that was a pro, you know? Like, they, they showed what we look like when we're at work, you know, with the outfits and, and the stage dances and even just dancing for customers on the floor. Like I felt that that was accurately represented. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought the way that they, the way that they kind of like overall pros, the way that they sort of kind of peppered in a little bit of like, uh, and before I start talking about these types of things, I just want to say a disclaimer. Like I am white. I am, I am from, you know, I grew up in the East coast of U.S. and now I'm in Canada. Like oh. I don't have experience living as a black woman in the South. Me neither. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but FYI. I, I, I found it was cool how they kind of peppered in a lot of things about black culture. Yes. Um, and how you know some of these movements or this athleticism, where it comes from, mm-hmm. um, you know, in their culture and the music and like even just kind of I think she called them the majorettes or the the Chuckalisa challengers, like her dance team. Yeah. Um, like, I just think that that style um, of dancing is so cool. And you can kind of see how it just really gets thrown into, like, the showmanship, you know, that they do as older women um, in the club. Yeah. Did you notice that? No, I definitely noticed that, too. Like, great observation. I think they're really just detailed in a lot of aspects as opposed to, like, other media portrayals that we've seen as of late, like, say, Hustlers and, and stuff like that, um, which I, I thought was great for like a blockbuster movie but also like not a real depiction of what exactly happens in the club you know what I mean and very very like glamorized a little soft a little soft and not to say that this show isn't glamorized obviously it's glamorized it's for television it's for ratings and stuff too so of course some things are are to be exaggerated and that's obviously to me to be expected but Yeah, like, I I thought in general that, like, I really liked how it brought sex workers to the forefront as opposed to, again, other media portrayals and other depictions of sex workers. Us just being in the background or being used as, like, a prop or something or being that side chick or whatever, like, that um, stereotype or, like, that kind of uh, portrayal. So it's really cool to kind of bring these stories to the front and I really 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 appreciated that and also basically 
being really telling of of specifically black stories. So to me, like this show really, really showcased that. And again, as a person of color, I'm Asian. I cannot, I don't know these experiences, but I, I really felt it though. And I thought, at least for my observation, I thought it would deem to be authentic. So I really, really like that because I think some of the, some of the negative stereotypes that some of the listeners wrote in, they're like, oh, like they think, they thought that it was playing a negative stereotype of sex workers. And I don't know, I kind of had to like disagree a little bit on that. I thought it was pretty authentic to me. Authentic. I definitely would say that as the show progressed, like, you know, with learning the backstories of some of the dancers, Mm -hmm. like their characters, like, yeah, it does kind of show like you know you've got the girl who lives in the trailer park with her mom and she's like crushing up xanax in her smoothie or whatever (laughs) um you know and then you've got kind of like the woman who is dealing with domestic violence yes and you know they they all definitely have their backstories you know their their backstories and kind of their drama but what the one thing i guess i didn't love was how you know they're the kind of there were a lot of tropes that kind of were thrown into there right like Mm, okay can you elaborate um, well, yeah, like, you know, so you've got the, the, um, I love that they only had one white dancer at the club. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> she's, but yet, she's like the white trailer trash, which is cool. <laughs> like, that's fine. I'm not upset with that at all. <laughs> but like, yeah, I just, you know, I think that people watching the show and seeing, for example, Miss Mississippi, um, with her bruises and every day there's one in a different place. Right. Yeah. And I think people may watch that show and go, oh, well, yeah, of course she's a stripper, you know, she's experiencing Uh, this at home or she's, you know, marginalized or whatever. But like anybody who works in an office could be sitting next to somebody whose partner is beating them. Like just because mm -hmm. that's where she works doesn't mean that that's why that's happening to her. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, maybe it was kind of portrayed in that light. Like he was abusing her because she was a dancer. Oh, yeah. I don't know that that they explained that, but like that was the vibe that I got. That's interesting. I feel like there's going to be more in season two. And we are going to get into the characters. Everyone's probably like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Who's this? Who's that? We're going to get into the whole characters, the whole character development of the show. But yeah, no, I have to agree. Like, I wish there was a bit more backstory on on Derek, who is the name of um, um, Keyshawn's or Miss Mississippi's partner who was abusive to her. Like, I wish there was a little bit more on that because then it just seemed that that's almost seemed like a stereotypical domestic abuse kind of situation yeah 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 there could have definitely been a bit more kind of background on that one totally Um, but I was sorry oh yeah I was just gonna say like like they did a really good job and like really hammering down all the main characters backstories but yeah I was like oh my god like how are they gonna get through this in only eight episodes (laughs) yeah they could have done like a couple more to really just sort of like kind of tease out and like unpack a little bit more information agreed like I feel like well because it is such a it was such a ringer for for the first season I don't know if they expected that but hopefully for season two because they have been renewed for season two yay yay (laughs) so excited (laughs) um hopefully they'll be able to as you said unpack more of those details and get more of the backstory on some of those characters so yeah (laughs) um I also want to say I guess just going down with the cons a little bit too and I don't I don't have experience with a champagne room because obviously I'm in North America I'm in Canada we don't have that 
here, at least not in British Columbia. I don't know if you guys have a Such champagne a shame. Here. I we know. Don't have them here. <laughs> I I think they do at a couple of the clubs in Niagara, but oh, I've never uh, worked in Niagara Falls, so I okay. can't say for certain. But I feel like that's a place because they're so close to the border of Buffalo, New York. Right. Um, that I feel like they probably would have that experience there. Yeah, that to me seemed like so like dreamlike in there, like, like the paradise room. <laughs> I was like, yeah. all the clouds and stuff. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? That was an okay. This is another thing that I felt was super authentic. Was the clips where they show the club like at night, yeah. and it's like the lights are going, and it looks so glamorous. And you've got these like plush couches, yes. And then they show it in like the daylight, and it's all like <laughs> like, like torn like, up, stained seats, and like duct tape on the back of the chair. Yes. And like, oh, yep. <laughs> 100% accurate like club lights up <laughs> no I think they did a good job of that too again like going with the detail I think they did a really good job in that but um I don't know I think yeah that pretty much sums up the pros and cons for me like I don't know if, if you had any other things to add in there uh, the only other thing that I would add is that, and I don't know for certain, like, who they consulted or who they had performed, but that they actually did consult, like, multiple people who work in strip clubs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that they actually used, like, strippers to do some of the stunt work or, or people that had worked in the industry. They actually did hire those types of people to do the work, which I thought was awesome yeah I know that uh Katori Hall who created the show and also the play of the same name she actually spent I think she's doing this research for quite a few years so like five to six years and she did interview over 40 women in the south specifically that are strippers and that are doing some kinds of sex work so I thought that was like really really cool that she was able to talk with people and consult with actual people that work in the club in this kind yeah, of region and like hopefully compensate them for their time efforts. yeah absolutely because <laughs> yeah. i don't know i think as i said on the first glance i think they they did a really really great job with the show so <laughs> i don't even know where to go i'm just like how are you gonna do all this in, in like an hour because i'm just like let's try to go into like characters here there's so many characters <laughs> in who's your favorite character I loved Mercedes. She's my fave. I loved her. I love how she talks so much shit. Oh, sorry. Can I curse? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Curse as much as you want. (laughs) Fuck shit. Whatever. (laughs) I loved how much fucking shit she talks to customers, like, in the club, just walking by, like... Yeah, there's a few women at my club that are like that, and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I wish I had the balls to do that. I just, <laughs> I don't think I can pull it no? off. No, I think I can. <laughs> I'm, I'm too nice in the club, and, and I really, really hate like walking around and you know doing the rounds and and freelancing. I really hate that stuff. I hate selling. So for me, I'm just <laughs> I play like more like the not even the shy type but like the really really sweet type which isn't a far cry from the truth but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <can> <laughs> thank you but like i don't know like unless someone pisses me off then like you don't want to mess with me but that's another story <laughs> but i really liked her because then like she was the headliner you know she's this badass bitch and she i don't know i feel like she was able to pull that off because she like she was the one bringing so many people to the club she made a shit ton of money. People know her around town and stuff. And she just freaking owned it. I, I loved that. And I, I also loved, like, she also, like, had bigger goals, too, in terms of, like, her aspirations to have her own cheerleading gym and that being a really, really big story arc uh, during the show. 
Yeah. To have yeah, I thought that was really cool that, you know, she had kind of, basically there was the goal at the end and that she had been saving her money and, you know, she was doing a lot of other things on the side. And I think showcasing that, you know, was really awesome. It gives people like, these are humans with lives and yes. things that they care about and goals and, you know, humans at the end of the day. Absolutely. Also, I forgot to say in the beginning of the show, we're going to be talking about spoilers. So (laughs) if you don't want to hear anything, I'd probably stop now. But there's probably going to be some spoiler alert things in here. So if you haven't seen it, you'd probably want to turn it off at this point. (laughs) I think I ruined it at the very beginning. Oh, did you actually? I can't remember. I'm just like, I fucking love this show. (laughs) But yeah, like the whole thing, like when her mom, her gospel preacher and mom, like, stole her money to open up her church I was like oh, I was like are you kidding me like and they had the whole fight oh my god I was like cringing just cringing yeah. at that <laughs> you know I was kind of expecting that I was fully mm-hmm. expecting her mom to not end up giving her the money back yeah I just didn't know in, in what way she was gonna do that and then they just turned around and bought her own fucking church. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. That's oh, crazy. no. That, I could see right through that lady. <laughs> oh, I know. She got tricks up her sleeve. And then the whole scene at the end when Mercedes was, like, begging her mom for forgis- forgiveness. That was like, mm. oh, my God. That was really intense and raw. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, and she doesn't have her hair on. Like, I it know. was just... It was really, really, like, completely dialed back, like, no makeup, no wig, just there, raw, vulnerable, like, she'd just been through so much shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't know she if... Was, she's a great actress. Super great. She's played... Mercedes is played by Brandy Evans. Very talented actress. I loved how she portrayed herself and her character in the show. Just incredible acting skills. And I think pole dancing skills, too, because I think she did all the stunts there too or at least most of them from what I saw (laughs) movie magic I believe believe they had someone do some of her stunting Mm -hmm. but I don't remember who I'm really bad with remembering names I'm sorry me too I don't have those in my notes right now so I'm like crap (laughs) (laughs) but another character that I really enjoyed uh seeing on the screen and who was also in the original playwright was Uncle Clifford yeah uncle clifford was my favorite character hands down loved him so well her actually sorry i should say her by using the proper pronoun because uncle clifford although his character his her sorry i keep saying this her character name is uncle clifford so gender fluid non-binary and what i liked about her is that she embraced both the feminine and the masculine you know like kind of acted like like a house mommy to all the dancers but also just like doesn't fuck around (laughs) with people and just kind of like exudes that stereotypical like really masculine aggressive energy that I really like to watch and just seeing the contrast was really interesting yeah I was honestly I was so pleasantly surprised to see the way that they depicted that character and just like the relationships that uncle Clifford engaged in. Like I just, it was such a, I thought it was really poignant and I thought that they played it out beautifully. You know, I think that there's, there's a lot of violence against black trans women or black non-binary, you know, women and like, you know, sex workers of color and, there was a lot wrapped up in that character. So much. Um, 
so so much yeah I just when when that whole scene first happened with Uncle Clifford and little Murda, I was just like, no, tell me this is, is this happening? Oh my God, it's happening. Like, I was just like giddy. I was so excited. Me too. And you can't see you me right now. but see that. No. Like, and I'm like literally jumping in, up and down right now as you were saying uh, that. Because I was also rooting for that. I was like, is this actually happening? Like, no way. No way. Oh, it happened. And it was just, it was so good. Like, I'm so glad that that happened. Me too, because and that's another topic that you don't really get to see uh, discussed about very often. And it happens a lot with a lot of cis um, hetero males will usually go to trans individuals and you don't have some kind of romance going on with that, but still remain in the closet. So it's mm-hmm. it's really, really... Um, explorative um or even i would say experimental in that way too but still like protecting themselves as well it's just it's a really interesting thing to watch and to digest so yeah yeah like i thought that was really cool and again so one of my favorite characters on the show hands down (laughs) yes i mean just an overall like really soft person but like you said at the same time very strong and mm-hmm. takes no shit and <laughs> you know gives people opportunities but you you mess with uncle clifford once and you're done bye bye yeah you're fucking um, done <laughs> and his grandma like or oh my grandma, god tug, yes Ernestine. <laughs> so good oh <laughs> uh, like just just joy right just a joyful yes. woman like uh, and, and seeing that support of her grandson, you know, just being unapologetically who they are was just, it was great. It was great. And it's really nice for her to embrace that. And I love seeing that acceptance because unfortunately that is not a reality for lots of people that identify as trans. Like those stories can be quite tragic and unfortunately fatal in some situations so yeah it's just nice to see that support coming from her grandmother like I really loved seeing that and that actress too I forgot what her name was but like it was good to see her because I haven't seen her in some films lately but I think they really again I I don't remember her name either (laughs) I know I'm just like I've seen her before many times but they did such a great job with the casting there too but um Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to talk about Andre, Keyshawn, Miss Mississippi. There's just so many things, like so many other story arcs there, like with Andre being the real estate uh, lawyer, developer, like his uncle being the mayor and him being from that town. And and uh, yeah, that the whole the whole uh, arc was confusing a little bit in the beginning because I didn't really understand his relationship with the mayor before until it was revealed that oh that's like his uncle and he was like trying to do his uncle a favor and he's trying to the whole thing with the promise line casino trying to take over the land where the pink the the strip club is going to be like that whole gentrification story arc was again like another thing that is really major and also something that happens in so many different cities too that happened here in Vancouver as well years ago right so yeah yeah for sure well and I think like you know there the 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 mayor was talking about you know this town has 
you know, such a high unemployment rate. And he's, he's trying to be this mayor who, who brings the town back to life. And, you know, he's, he's a black man and he's wants to, you know, he wants to really kind of take back the pride of this town. Right. And he Mm -hmm. sees, he sees the strip club as a, or, or, and and uncle Clifford as a tumor, right. In the town and wants to get rid of it, you know, by any means necessary. Um, but yeah, I think that's where kind of the storyline with Andre became interesting because mm-hmm. he was kind of like, you know, he was okay. Like he was a good character to have around, but I think he more was sort of like, kind of like a messenger, just kind of helping us figure out like what was going on behind the scenes with all of the, like buying the property stuff. Like, yeah. you know, he was okay. But I think, um, I don't yeah, know there he... was definitely, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, he was kind of, he wasn't one of my favorite characters. No. Um, but he definitely <laughs> served a purpose. Yeah. But he was kind of a slimy bastard. He was slimy. And I don't even know if he's going to be appearing in season two because I don't really see a need for him personally. But. I mean, Haley said goodbye to him. Yeah, so. exactly. So <laughs> he out. <laughs> yeah, I think he's gone. He doesn't need to be there anymore. No. <laughs> I also wanted to <laughs> really highlight the, um. Keyshawn and Miss Mississippi I know we kind of talked about a little bit earlier um in the episode but yeah Miss Mississippi is really an interesting character to me like she just seems like really 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 sweet and I loved watching her on the show and uh, almost seems to be a little bit like fame hungry you know she's really obsessed with getting the likes and all this and being an influencer and all that. I could definitely see her being a bit of a, I mean, kind of like using people a little bit, you know, because like you said, she's maybe got a bit of an agenda and she's trying to get herself ahead. And I don't know if that's why she's with, you know, the boyfriend that she's with. Like if he's um, got money or if like, I, I, again, I didn't understand like exactly why she was with him yeah. Is he the baby daddy? I thought he was. I mean, that's my understanding. I thought he was too. So. I definitely made why. an assumption that he was. Me too. And I think that's what most audience members would kind of assume in that position. But like, yeah. of course, it was like one of those situations where this is this is the relationship we were talking about early in the episode where, um, so Mrs. Mississippi, she's a budding dancer super sweet she brings her baby to the club sometimes and has to take care of her in between her stage sets and stuff but um she's with this dude who's just a horrible guy obviously it's obviously he beats her you'll see that there's bruises on her arms throughout um the season and the finale was crazy to me like Oh, I was just rooting oh for God. her. Oh my God. Like, I can't even get into it. Like, the whole thing when her her boyfriend, Derek, comes to the club, watching her set. She's on there with Lil Murda, dancing her butt off. And then she's talking with, like, the the manager, the potential manager guy or whatever that wants to manage Lil Murda. And um, Derek's like, can I talk to you? And, and then um, she's like, I said, wait, you know, she like gave him so much attitude and then she paid for that <laughs> later because then he pretty much like threatened her. He's like, get your shit now. Five minutes, blah, blah, blah. Like it was crazy. And then 
the whole like gun situation too when she pulled the gun on, on Diamond and like I was just rooting for her and Diamond to be together. <laughs> so I still am and I have a theory about what happened at the end there. Okay, tell um, me, tell me, tell me. Because <laughs> I was rooting for her and Diamond too. Like, you know, he's one of the security guys and yeah. he like, you know, checks in on her and helps care for the baby sometimes while she's there and has to go on stage and he's just like, a kind, caring, like, big teddy bear yeah. with muscles that could kill you. Yes. Um, <laughs> Accurate. And, like, really handsome, too. Yeah, And babe. <laughs> he, I thought for sure that at the end what was going on was, like, he was going to kill Derek. Like, he loves mm-hmm. Keyshawn. I yeah. think Diamond loves Keyshawn. And he knows enough about their relationship. And he had the opportunity to basically, like, like take him away, take him away from the picture. Yeah. And make Keyshawn safe. And yes. I think she didn't want Diamond to get in trouble for, like, beating him to death. And so she pulled oh. the gun on him to say, please stop. Interesting. That's an so interesting theory. So that he doesn't theory. get in trouble for killing the guy. Right. That is really an interesting approach. I never thought about it that I'm, way. Yeah, because he gives her that necklace, at the, you know, kind of at the earlier part of the episode. Yes. Um, or is it at the end of Seven? I can't remember. But one of the two (laughs) tells her that like, you know, his, his partner in Iraq, I think, you know, had this special crystal on him when he saved Diamond's life and he kind of passes it on to Keyshawn for protection and safety that night. I definitely think that that has something to do with like her then in turn saving him. Ah, interesting. I don't know. Hey. I think we're going to learn more about that in the next season. In season two for sure. Like, cause basically what happens, so like. Diamond, the bouncer, who I believe also is in love with Keyshawn slash Miss Mississippi, like, like, sees some things and obviously, like, saw that Derek is about to beat her or whatever, and then finds Derek in the bathroom and is about to kill him. And then Keyshawn comes and pulls the gun on Diamond. <laughs> no yeah because i think i think derek had the gun on him yeah and then at some point during the fight pulls it on diamond and then there were shots that were fired during that fight which is what like cleared out the whole club yes yes Um, and then yeah they kind of kept tussling basically it was going to be a fight to the death one of them was going to die die yeah for sure but yeah speaking of death (laughs) holy (laughs) shit um (laughs) In the Paradise Room, so there's this whole thing. So basically with Autumn slash Haley. Autumn Knight is her stage name. Haley is her real name. Um, this guy that's been stalking her, it's basically her former partner. And he's loaded. She's getting all this money throughout the season. We don't really know where the money's coming from until like later in the season. It's, I guess, this guy that she was formerly in a relationship with. Um, who she tried to escape from, got caught in the flood, and then found herself there. So he actually traced it, traced, I guess, the bank, the banking um, movements to Chuckalisa, where she is, and showed up at the club <laughs> and then asked for a dance. And like the whole thing went down. And oh my goodness, like there's just a lot of things that happened there. And Basically, oh, that guy creeped me out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that was just like, and so I think what happened was like, yeah, he traced her, her bank wires yes. through like somebody who had set up these accounts for her. He killed that guy. Yeah. Who like set up all the accounts for her. 
And then, yeah, traced her there, set up, went to the sheriff's station and like gave them basically a photo of her so that they put up a poster. And then I think the sheriff was the one that actually like found her walking around somewhere. Right. Yeah. um, Either in Chuckalisa or at the actual club. Yeah, that guy, because then she was, like, outside of the club with, like, the bag and stuff, and... Yeah. Yeah, and it's also, like, her ex, Mon- I think his name's Montavious, like, he's part of yes. the the gang, Delta Devoted or something, and I feel like there's gonna be more of that in the season two, although, I mean, someone killed him. Yeah. And we don't know, so there was Mercedes in the room who went to try and save her because then she recognized, like, the ring and stuff that he was wearing. And then, um, of course, no one's watching the cameras until, like, Uncle Clifford saw there's some shit going on in there. Went there, and then we just don't know what happens, but you see blood coming out, like, underneath the door. And then it's, like, cut to the next day, and it's like, what happened? Like, who killed him? Like, <laughs> who killed him? Oh, man. I want to say it's either Mercedes or Uncle Clifford. Because they look pretty beat up. Both of them. I don't know if Haley did it or would well, do it. Haley shot him the first time when mm-hmm. she escaped from him, right? And she thought she killed him. Yeah. Thought like, she killed him. Can you imagine somebody you thought you killed <laughs> showing up at the club? Literally coming back from the dead. <laughs> yeah. I want my money. Yeah, that was was crazy. Yeah, no, I think it was Mercedes. Uh, Okay. Why do you think so? I would put money on it being Mercedes. Yeah. Because she was, well, just because she was begging her mother for forgiveness. Yes. She was like, I think she was at that church to try and repent. I think she was there Mm -hmm. because she killed him and she was like, I need to, you know, get good with God again. Cleanse my soul. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then, and then, so when they're in the club the next day, like they're there with Haley's there, Clifford's there. They're there with Ernestine, and then mm-hmm. Mercedes shows up. Yeah. There's a very little quick exchange between the three of them where yeah. she says, is it handled? Yeah, is it handled? And she said, yeah. And Clifford goes, yes, it's handled. Yeah. So I'm, I think that meant, like, either did you get rid of the body or did you yes. get rid of the tape? Yeah. Right? I feel yeah. like something happened there. But I'm just, like, dying Mercedes asked the question, and I think, like, just the look in her eyes. Yeah. I don't know. I think she's the one who did it. I also feel like Mercedes is like at this point in the show is just so desperate. Like she's just lost everything, you know, with losing her money and her potential cheerleading gym to her mom. Um, And then also that exchange in the last episode too with I guess one of her regular clients. Did you remember that part where like he gave her the coach guy yeah who like wanted a part of it and she's like oh hell no like you're not getting any kind of ownership partnership to this and then he gave her this kind of uh deal he's like okay well I'll get you an apartment and you could stay with me and do this and like basically be a side chick and I feel like she's she was contemplating that because I don't think she has any other plan b plan c like I don't I think she's at the end of her rope here so yeah I think I think she was contemplating it too Mm -hmm. I don't Um, know if she's gonna go through with it but I feel like maybe she will but she'll still continue working at the pink yeah who knows it's to be determined and I mean at the end of the episode it's really cool too with the whole auction part as well (laughs) because they're all like dressed up in funeral like black like gear and um, I guess they were just expecting you know the club to be at bid and then fucking Haley comes out of nowhere all the yeah, lot of cash. Of cash. <laughs> yeah. 
that was great. Jet ex partner. Oh, it was so great. And she just looks just like this. Yeah. Just like boss bitch, like kill bill type. Like, I love you know, that coming scene. in and saving the day. It was so good. So, so, so good. I can't wait for season two. I know. Me too. I think it's, I think it's going to be really juicy and I think it's going to be pretty explosive. I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was a lot of like character talk. There was so many things I want to also discuss here in terms of like different themes, different kind of isms and like what I mean by isms, like I'm talking about colorism. I'm talking about racism I'm talking about classism. There's so many intersecting layers in this show that I found to be particularly interesting. And I, I don't know which parts you like kind of want to like talk about first, but I, I don't know. I felt I mean, that those are pretty present in the show myself, but they were, I think, I think the colorism thing was really interesting. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. To be honest, I had to Google a few terms because I did not know what they were talking about. Oh yeah. Which um, ones? Tell me. <laughs> so, so they kept calling, Haley slash Autumn, um, high yellow heifer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is high yellow? I don't get that. So I Googled it and it was basically like, you know, basically it would be a high yellow. So it's like a lighter yeah. skinned a skin black tone. woman. Um, and I was like, okay, okay. Cause basically they kept referring to that as like a position of privilege. Yes. Um, you know, just based on her color, she was basically higher on the ladder than everybody else. Yes. Um, you know, and there, there was references of purple skin, I think, or blue skin mm-hmm. um, for people that were super, super dark. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, they kind of seemed to break each other down into different categories of blackness. Yes. That's definitely very uh, apparent in the show, for sure. And you can kind of yeah. see that, too, in the first episode when she's walking in and this she's like this light, lighter skinned black woman and... You can see and kind of feel the tension in between her and Mercedes, too. Yeah. Because Mercedes, like, you know, she's a headliner. She's the best dancer in the club. And you can really feel that competitiveness, too. And, like, Haley just walks on in there. She doesn't even have any pole tricks or anything like that. But she still kills it because, unfortunately, like, I feel like a lot of the times people like the lighter skin look, you know? Right. And that's kind of right. like a thing, Right. And she so. was tall. She was on the slimmer side. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she had lots of those things that, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but like, yeah, you typically see. Um, and so I loved seeing different body types in yes. this show and Me all too. sorts of beautiful black women doing their thing. It was just incredible. It was refreshing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was really cool, too, just to have a show completely centered around black sex workers I really loved seeing that and just having the inclusivity of different uh kinds of genders on the show too uh again like all these different layers that come together that come together I think really make the show like what it is too yeah I agree and I think too another thing that was really neat was kind of the way that they layered like sisterhood between Mm -hmm. the girls that work together Um, you know, like they're really tight and they watch out for each other and they have each other's backs, you know, and and it didn't matter if you were white or black or dark or light. It was just your family because you have this shared common experience. Right. Um, I loved seeing that. And I thought that that. was pretty neat. I loved seeing that as well. Cause like, even at the club, like 
where we work too and you feel that sisterhood and you feel that bond with all the women that you're sharing the stage with and who you're working with I don't know at least I feel that there's like that bond that sisterhood oh me too big time um that was kind of one of the only things that like um was identifiable for me like in the hustlers movie was kind of that camaraderie between the, the the women um a woman that I work with um she was on another podcast a little while ago and she kind of said that like People were like, oh, that's not how it is at the club. Like, you know, the women don't get along and they're fighting in the locker room. And Sammy was like, Sammy was like, actually, at my club, we all like huddle under somebody's coat in the winter and like smoke a big blunt together and like talk (laughs) about our nights. And it's absolutely not like a fight in the locker room at all. Yeah, Um, I completely agree with that. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Of course, like I also want to talk about the racism too that was in the show we didn't see too too much of it I I think more so with the interactions with like the potential new landowners and that oh and the Kyle brothers right yeah that yeah that was was pretty intense when uh what was his name Andre was there trying to get the The paper signed. signed yeah that was a really disgusting moment for me to have to watch me too um yeah that was crazy I didn't like that that made me like um very uncomfortable very uncomfortable and just basically saying like the civil war is not over and we can either do this the way that we want to do it or you know if you want to do it your way you're basically not going to live through it yeah and it was just like oh because he pulled the shotgun on him and I was like is this actually going to happen right now like Jesus Christ yeah that was like some civil war shit shit yeah exactly <laughs> just, no, I am not comfortable with this no too and I, was, I remember like reading um an interview with Katori Hall and I remember she was on location in one of these areas where she was wanting to film the show looking at like and admiring the cotton fields and one of the white farmers was like go ahead and pick it <laughs> and I'm just like oh my god are you serious they used that line in the show. They in did. The show too. They did. Yeah. And that was based on her actual experience that someone actually had the audacity to to say that to her. Like wow, chilling. I mean, it's it's yeah. I was I had an experience last night at my club. I was sitting with uh, a woman who I was kind of working with on and off last night. Mm-hmm. She's black, and we sat down with this one man. He was by himself. He was white, and very quickly, just the stuff he started to say. To, like I had never experience somebody blatantly just you know telling somebody that they didn't find them attractive because they're black what I swear to god like I was so uncomfortable I'm looking at my friend like are you okay yeah like should we just like like what and she was basically just removed herself yeah and I did too quite shortly after um that's yeah it was just I've never I'd never really heard it like that kind of in front of me in like the work atmosphere and just so frank too like that's so crazy and like she was so graceful through it all like she kind of was just like okay so you've got your flavor I get it I'm out of here yeah you know she wasn't you know and it's just that's a lot of emotional labor that it's extra work that she's got to do and she's not being compensated for it no like fuck and no one (laughs) should be subjected to that kind of conversation like at that point that's not even a conversation anymore you know what I mean? Like we discussed this briefly on some of the BLM episodes that I had too. And like as 
your friend said, like some people just have their own flavor and stuff, but it's those like really tiny microaggressions that just really, really show people's true characters. And it's really an ugly side that I do not support at all. No, no, me neither. He did not see either of our naked bodies. <laughs> Good. He doesn't deserve it. He was it. not graced. No. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about classism as well, because I was there, too. And I was like, oh, my God, we're almost at an hour. But um, <laughs> if yeah. you wanted to really talk about that, too, we can go sure, over an yeah. hour. If you want to talk about that, we can we can go. Yeah, yeah it's just really <laughs> interesting to kind of see. And there there wasn't like a ton of it. Like maybe there was a little bit. But in terms of just I feel like Haley might have been from a more upper class upbringing just the way that she talked yeah the way that she even just like her speech how she talked and how she like held herself it was it was clear that she's not from the area so I don't know if one it's like a dialect thing or if it's two that she kind of had a different kind of upbringing than the ladies that were there in the south so like that to me is really interesting then you could also see like Andre too how he's obviously in a different class of people too but I mean his his heart is in his home and his home is Chuck Lisa as well. And I felt like I felt like he was kind of trying to balance the two a little bit throughout the season. But again, there's only eight episodes, so it's hard to really like get into detail with all that. But I thought yeah. it was an interesting observation. At least for me, that's what I observed. It could be different for you. It could be different from other people too, but a minor thing that I had seen. So... I, I honestly, I, I picked up on it um, mostly when I noticed them working in the club and like trying to pick out their customers based on, you know, how they looked yes. um, or the way that they were portraying themselves from like a class perspective or like a how much money they have mm-hmm. perspective. I think you're right about Haley because at the very last episode, he talked about her being an accountant. Yes, I do um, remember that too. And so, and like, obviously he's wealthy, you know, just like the suit he was wearing at the end, like, yes, there was definitely some money there. I mean, if she was just able to wire a quarter of a million dollars out of their account (laughs) in a short amount of time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like it definitely seemed like there was, you know, she came from a different cloth than some of the other people. Right. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't really focus in too much on, like, the classism stuff. No, it was more of, like, an uh, afterthought for me, but I thought it was still apparent yeah, in the discussion. Yeah, so. definitely. I mean, yeah, like, you've got, like, you know, Andre, who's kind of, like, I guess a lawyer of some sorts, right? Mm-hmm. Who's trying to, like, broker this deal. Yeah. Um, and, like, he has obviously moved on to Atlanta, which is, like, a bigger city. It's more metropolitan, but yes. his roots, and he kept calling Chuckalisa home. Yeah, he obviously still felt the connection to there like he didn't really feel like Atlanta Andre Esquire (laughs) yeah no I get what you're saying he's good looking dude though but (laughs) yeah I didn't mind looking at him throughout the season yeah wasn't bad especially in the earlier episodes with like the Haley and Andre like sex scenes I'm like ooh, this is oh the phone sex scene yeah that was was super hot I was like I like this show (laughs) (laughs) like where it's going (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah like there's just so many as I said there's just so many layers in the show that I think they did a really good job. I just wish there was like a few more episodes, at least 10 episodes to really just iron all the details out. Cause I still have so many questions, but I guess maybe they're just saving that for season two. Who knows? 
but maybe like I've got questions about the drug deal that was going on mm-hmm. with Big L. I've got yeah. questions about that guy who had the ankle bracelet. Oh like, yeah, you know, the ankle too. monitor. I'm like, yeah. what was his role? I don't get it. I didn't understand um, that. Like, was he a friend of Mercedes, or like, how, what was his relationship to Mercedes at that point? Because I feel like. I don't know. So she would see him normally when she was out, like, on a run, right? Yeah. She, like, ran by his house one time, and he kind of, like, I don't know if they'd had, like, a romantic history. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I have no idea how they were connected. Like, he could be her daughter's dad, for all we know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the whole, oh, oh my God, that whole daughter thing, too. I just, oh, man. That's so sad. Part when, like, that was, like, her losing her gym was, like, also losing, like, an opportunity to get her daughter back. Yeah, or that at least so just sad. have more contact with her daughter at the very least, you know? Like, yeah, so heartbreaking yeah. to see all that. I'm like, oh, my God. Crying. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I thought that that was kind of, like, I didn't really, I don't think I picked up on the reason why she lost Terika, who was mm-hmm. her daughter. Yeah. But it does kind of play on, you know, like, a fact that, children and babies are taken away from black women at rates that are way higher than you know white women and and other people so it you know kind of does sort of tune into that kind of underlying like sociological issue issue yeah for sure and that's a huge thing too and I, I remember like again one of those comments earlier just saying oh are these like all stereotypes um like I don't want to say stereotypes but again it just shows the real hard truth about some of these lives and especially these in particular black lives you know so I thought that it was really important to also show that you know especially given the regionality of the show being in the south where poverty is a lot the poverty rate is a lot higher and same with the unemployment rate like all these things all these socio socio socioeconomic um statuses and um that whole thing together, like those all play a part and which you yeah. see unveiled on the show. So it's a show that's, yeah, it definitely highlights a lot of the intersections, yes. you know, for, for, for people of color, but specifically female sex workers of color living in the South and, you know, just how multifaceted their lives can be. Very you know, multifaceted. I think quite often sex workers and strippers can really be like objectified and kind of made into this like one dimensional object. Yeah. Um, Or it's nice to see shows that don't just, you know, highlight the hustle, but they also highlight the struggles and, you know, the family dynamics that are going on behind the scenes that people don't think about that when they come to the club and that's fine. You know, we're there at work and they're there to consume a service, but it's nice to be reminded that, you know, sex workers are humans and they've got, hearts and feelings and things that make them tick yeah absolutely I, I love everything that you said there 100 <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. um i do want to kind of sh- um move the conversation over unless you have some other closing notes there but it, we did have a couple questions that came in <laughs> as yeah well, no, i don't so. think i have any other notes left i think we've i think we've done a good job so far so. yeah i mean like again i really wanted to do like a weekly episode just dissecting each episode but i just knew that like i just don't have the bandwidth for that right now but it would have it's been a lot really of work. cool <laughs> it's a lot of work on top of this already busy podcast so yeah there's some questions that came in as well that were just yeah directed towards the show so i guess these are more going to be opinion based so person writes in i need to know more about the floss lady do clubs actually have that 
<laughs> I wish they did. I mean, mine doesn't, but I can't speak for other ones, especially like ones in the States or ones in Europe and stuff, but it does not exist in my club. <laughs> I think for the most part in the States, you do get, um, you know, a lady there that will either sell pre-made outfits. I don't, like when she made that outfit for Mercedes, like, at the snap of a finger in the last episode I was like sign me up for that yeah but um no I think in the states like there's definitely you know women that will either bring in like pre-made outfits to sell um to the dancers in the club they'll have makeup they'll have hair straighteners and you know Mm -hmm. baby wipes and deodorant and tampons and all that kind of stuff that people will need um on hand at the club but I think that's you know the bigger clubs and the really big money clubs Exactly. You know, like you see it like G5 in Miami or King of Diamonds, you know, those places yeah. are probably just. <laughs> totally. And you mentioned Crazy. that you grew up in the East Coast of the States. Yeah, I grew up on Long Island uh, okay. in New York. New York, yeah. Amazing. How, like, I never went to any strip clubs there, sadly. Darn, I was going to ask my next question, like, did you go to any clubs out there? <laughs> no, but there's, uh, there's a dancer I follow on YouTube and Instagram, and she's just hilarious. Her name is Tiffany B, and okay. she dances in clubs on Long Island and in New York City. So if you want to f- know what it's like there, follow her. Okay, Tiffany B. I'm going to check that out later. <laughs> it's my homework yeah. tonight. Cool, cool. <laughs> um, I have another question here in regards to the show. So was the relationship between Kayshawn and her boyfriend a stereotype? Not a dancer stereotype, but an abused woman stereotype or like Stockholm syndrome, question mark. What's your opinion on that? It's interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, typically women who are um, being abused or, you know, victims of domestic violence, it takes them a number of times to try and leave an abusive situation. I don't know the exact number, Um, but I would say that I mean, I've never lived through that experience, thankfully, mm-hmm. but I would say that like, yeah, you know, you're going to have a woman who is, who, you know, in that situation, like in the end, she defended him and she stopped him from being killed. And we don't really know the reason why, but I would say that, you know, not having lived that experience, but having read some literature about it, I'd say that it, it might be pretty typical, you know, that she can kind yeah. of shut it off when she's at work. She did a really good job of compartmentalizing her personal life and her work life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think that would be pretty typical, you know, trying to hide the bruises, work through it, downplay them, lie about them. Yeah. Protecting him. I think those are all pretty typical behaviors. They are like, they're kind of, kind of masking, like, you know, it's, it's no big deal. Like, oh, he I just, fell. yeah, like a fell and he only laid a hand on me once, you know, just kind of trying to minimize those situations, even though they are quite dire. And it, it does, as you said, and I don't know the exact statistic, but um, it takes many, many, many attempts for an abused woman to leave her abuser. It takes so much time to do it because it's also like a really mental thing, too. It's uh, it's a mind fuck, basically, you know, these... And- Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, like, as a woman who is working in a strip club, you're already disadvantaged at if somebody finds out you could lose your child just based on your line of work. Right. You know? So that could be something that maybe he has threatened her with, that if you leave me, I'm going to go to family court and say you're a sex worker. Yeah, you're And you're going to lose your baby. Yeah. So there's so many things on the line there, and it's, it's just really, really incredibly difficult for women to flee those situations so for me that is is typical yes I don't want to say stereotypical 
um, because stereotypical is dangerous, but um, it is typical of those victims in abusive or domestic violence situations for sure. Like it's it's not easy. I I don't I can't say that I have ever been in a physically abusive situation before, but I've definitely been in a mentally abusive relationship that was awful and. The mind tricks and the gaslighting that these men put you through is very real. It's 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 pretty much brainwashing at the point. You second guess yeah, yourself yeah. and stuff too. You know, I'm never gonna do it again. And you really want to believe them. And unfortunately, it's it's a pattern. It does not change. So I just want to give my two cents on that. So I don't I don't think it's stereotypical, but I think it is a real thing. And I would love to give you the statistics, but maybe I'll try to put that in the show notes later so yeah yeah. (laughs) I feel like the number is somewhere between like seven and nine attempts before you're able to Mm -hmm. successfully leave like an abusive partner somewhere around Around there there. that sounds familiar to me so you could possibly be right on that one thank you for that (laughs) (laughs) and I guess the last question here is how do they always get promo material printed so fast (laughs) posters and flyers are expensive and take time to print (laughs) I love this. It's the magic of television, babe. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, it does. I, I agree with you. It takes a lot of time to print. Or you got to, you know, have your marketing calendar. Okay, this needs to be done at this time. This needs to be printed at this time. It's a lot of head work, but also movie magic. So there you go. Yeah. I think that's, <laughs> it's an editing trick. It's an editing trick for sure. <laughs> but um, before I let you go, um, where can we find you, Kat? <laughs> I am available on Instagram um, at catxdaniels, and it's cat with a K. Um, It is a private account. I usually reserve um, that account for connecting with other dancers and sex workers and people in the industry. Um, You know, occasionally I let a man follow me if I'm feeling generous um <laughs> but yeah you can definitely find me on there um, anybody in the industry I would love to connect and chat and follow you back as well yeah we've had so well we've I have definitely had so much fun on the show today with you thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wonderful expert opinion on dissecting p-valley <laughs> myself an expert but I really enjoyed this conversation and talking about it with with someone else I haven't really had the chance to do this yet so thank you for having me anytime and you're gonna have to come on for season two recap so I'm gonna be calling uh, on knocking on your door next year so (laughs) (laughs) you let me know when I'll be there absolutely but thanks guys for listening that wraps up another episode of strip by Sia don't forget to like rate follow subscribe write a nice review on Apple that's how I keep up in the Apple charts so do that and it's strip by Sia on Instagram. See you, Steph. It's my personal. Get at me. And we'll catch up uh, with you guys next week. Peace out. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Strip by Sia. Hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia. Artwork by Maria Bellandorama. Music by Ted D and photography by Ian Dabern.